Kings Insider Podcast on CSNCalifornia.com. Introducing your host, Sacramento Kings Insider, James Ham. Welcome to the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. I am James Ham. Joining me, Mr. Aaron Bruski of hoop-ball.com. AB, what's going on, man? Not a whole lot. It's been a somewhat quiet couple days. I think that's been uh, welcomed by all involved because you get these days that are a little slower than normal and you want them to be slow. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. As far as King's News, it's been a little bit slow. Um, I, on the other hand, have been down covering Golden State Warriors playoff run. Uh, Again, more confetti, more confetti. Uh, that was, you know what, Aaron, we're going to talk about some playoff stuff tonight too because uh, we don't have a ton of Kings news, but, and we're also going to do an abbreviated podcast, people. Uh, it's been a long week. We uh, we already gave you one podcast early in the week. We've already met our quota. We're going to, <laughs> so. <laughs> You're so, going to take your podcast and like it. That's right. You're going to take your short podcast and, and that's all there is to it. We're going to talk some King stuff though, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Um, but I... Talk about an incredible night of basketball on uh, on Thursday night. The San Antonio Spurs got bounced. And to be honest with you, I'm shocked. I thought that Kawhi and Aldridge and then sort of the the old group would be able to hold it together and then set up this, you know, uh, this Iron Man versus uh, Captain America Civil War type uh, Western Conference Finals. But Oklahoma, man, they just, they found something new and different. That's what it feels like to me. They found themselves mid-series, mid and they are looking about as good as the Cleveland Cav- Cavaliers are right now and uh, right there with the Golden State Warriors. Here's the thing. This is either something or it's nothing. And so the Spurs were, you know, had a counter for everything that the Thunder were doing at no point in time. In fact... I picked the Thunder to win, and at no point in time, it probably until tonight at about you know Thursday night, maybe midway through the first quarter, early second quarter, did I think that the Thunder had a chance. So you, you look <laughs> at the, the games, and, and you thought yeah, the Spurs had their number, and it all turned on one play, I thought, was Ennis Cantor rolled into Kawhi Leonard's knee, and he's had knee problems in the past and quad problems in the past. And you could tell it hurt. And one of the benefits of having a small town media is if there's sort of kind of like a competitive information, you know, the, I don't think that, that that there's this great effort to expose it. There was a story the next uh, or probably the well that night next day about Kawhi Leonard pushing through the pain in his leg. But the minute literally to the minute. After that incident, Kevin Durant started roasting him, and it just didn't look right. He doesn't look like he's got as much explosion, and yes, he continued to score, and he continued to make big plays. It just, the whole thing turned 
And it's just it's too coincidental for me to look at it and see the report afterwards. He was indeed playing through pain and to think that that had nothing to do with it, because after that, the Spurs looked completely impotent against the Thunder. The Thunder's defense appeared to have clamped down. And for a team that relies on two scorers to generate their offense, LaMarcus Aldridge, who made all of the shots that he was allowed to make in the first few games uh, because he shot like 65 percent and then Kawhi Leonard and the rest of the team, uh, th- th- this isn't the, the, the sh- kind of the share of the ball team that everybody thinks it is. Those two guys have been their engine. Yeah, they folded up, which I was surprised. Now, for me, I think the game, the, the series hinged on on a different game. And, uh, I mean, you you can catch me here if you think I'm wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, but what I really saw in this series was a moment when... Russell Westbrook just kept shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting and shooting. And And he hit like 27 shots uh, in a game. He didn't hit. He took 27 shots in a game. And then the narrative really changed and put him under the microscope. And I think it, for me, it looked like a moment where he looked around and said, oh, no, I know I shoot too much, but. I'm going to be the one who costs us this series. And then if Kevin decides to leave, I'm going to get blamed. And it was like a, a a coming to Jesus moment for Russell Westbrook. And he was incredible. And I, I think this, this is uh it sets up for a really interesting Western conference finals. And I think either way, it was going to be a really good Western conference finals, but man, I, I just still believe that the Spurs would have been a tougher matchup. I just don't know. I mean, they they literally just ran out of gas, which is shocking. I mean, for them to lose two games in a row at home, shocking. Again, speaking, I think, to the potential for that injury, that's just a very – it's an outlier. Um, I I think that there's – this is all about matchups. You know, you've got – a couple of bigs that really match up well with Tim Duncan and LaMarcus Aldridge. You've got Ennis Cantor, who has been criticized for his defense, and it has improved, but he's kind of a good fit for LaMarcus Aldridge. Serge Ibaka wasn't his his series, but Steven Adams is also a good fit for LaMarcus Aldridge, and they both match up well with Tim Duncan. So you take some of the, the Spurs' strengths, and then you eliminate them. And, and I thought there was a lot of that t- type of thing going on. You know, Andre Roberson was a guy that really wasn't making a whole lot of plays early in the series, probably for the first four to five games. And they were playing four on five offensively against, uh, you know, a really, really good defense. And it showed, um, you know, fast forward to games five and six, and you got Andre Roberson out there really kind of shutting Kawhi Leonard down. I don't want to say that. Uh, too strongly but in game six he's out there you know hitting three-point shots finally you know after a prolonged drought so eventually he did have to make some shots Uh, but the role players really came through big in this series for the thunder um i so with the the russell westbrook thing he's this this player that, that it's hard to measure him because his misses are are better than most guys makes oh yeah and he's um He's just phenomenal to watch and still had some really, really head scratcher plays, you know, throughout all six games. But that's the that's the Russell Westbrook experience. And you got to take the bad with the good. And so now when we look forward to the Warriors series, I think you're going to be looking at those 
uh, role players and saying, okay, now can they stay disciplined against one of the hardest teams to defend or play offense against? Because they can pick you apart on either side. And it's so it's not going to be the Steph Curry's and the Draymond Greens because you've got Kevin Durant and you've got Russell Westbrook's there to kind of counterbalance that star power in a way. It's going to be how do they deal with uh, Clay Thompson? You know, how do they deal with Andre Iguodal? How do they deal with Harrison Barnes? And and are guys like Ennis Cantor going to be useful in the series? Are guys like Steven Adams and Serge Ibaka going to be useful when the Warriors probably end up going small against them? You know what? I can't wait to see the big Kiwi versus the big Aussie. I mean, that, oh, yeah. that is going to be so much fun to see a series game after game after game with Adams against Bogut. I mean, it's going to be absolutely phenomenal basketball. So I'm excited to see it, and I think uh, everyone in the world could care less about the Miami-Toronto uh, series. Actually, I think everyone is just – they're just hoping that that series, no one ever wins, and it just goes away, and the Cavs just sit there and wait for whoever is next. Because I, I don't know. I mean, is there – is there anything more sort of dull than that series? Uh, it's it's not the Heat side per se that's making it so bad. It's the Toronto side where they take the worst shots and they make the worst basketball plays and they don't ever seem to do anything right. And they've got talent and they're just not maximizing it. And on the Heat side, there's been a couple things that have actually been a little bit strange with the way Eric Spolster has rolled things out. But nothing too crazy. They just, you know, the the thing with them is you looked at them at the beginning of the year and you said, that's a great starting five or that's a great core of five or six guys. And if they can stay healthy, they can compete. And I actually picked them to beat the Cavs. And that was at the beginning of the playoffs with no Hassan Whiteside concerns. Now he's, uh, I, I don't, you know, if they can get past the Raptors, I don't know if he can can um, make it for the Cavs series. Maybe he can get back in game like three or four or something like that. But without him, they've got no chance. And then you look at Toronto. Toronto played them pretty tough in the year. And they've got kind of the prerequisite things that they need in order to compete with the Cavs. They've got a backcourt that can both give Kyrie Irving trouble and defend him a little bit. And they'll have the advantage there in the backcourt. On the the LeBron James side, Patrick Patterson actually lines up pretty well. Damari Carroll probably doesn't line up well. That's the part where you get a little bit of trouble looking and seeing, can Toronto actually beat those guys? Jonas Valanciunas, though, can match up pretty well with Tristan Thompson. Is Tristan Thompson's the secret weapon for those guys. That's why, outside of the fact that the Hawks couldn't cover LeBron, Tristan Thompson was the guy that they just had no answer for because the, the Hawks plays small. Tristan Thompson comes in, cleans up the boards, and, and really just kind of puts an exclamation point on what they do. You do have two bigs in Toronto that can take away that advantage. So really it becomes about how do you de- how do you defend Le- LeBron? Can you bother him into anything weird like an off series? And then can you take advantage of your backcourt? That's a lot of ifs. I don't know. But I would if, if we get Hassan back, I'll say that I'll still take the heat to beat the Cavs. I always bank on Jason Thompson. The Jason Thompson effect. <laughs> Toronto he and got, four. It was, Toronto was and his four. First, that was his first playoff minutes the other day, right? Well, I don't know. No, no. I, I mean, think he, yeah, he, he never, played he never, early. He had played he, early. Uh, round one, I think he played. Okay. Yeah, that's the first time he's ever played a playoff game in his entire career. Good for him. I know. It is good for him. All right. All right. So let's let's get past uh, this this horrible, horrific thing that is the playoffs and talk about a real team that never, ever 
waste his time with something like that. Sacramento Kings. They don't believe in the playoffs. Playoffs? You're talking about playoffs, Aaron Bruski? We don't want the playoffs. That is the worst, worst, uh, what's his name, Jim Moore I've ever heard. Uh, Yeah, I, I could have tried harder, but no, no. All right, so, okay, so let's get to this. Uh, we got a handful of things to talk about with the Sacramento Kings. Maybe not a handful, maybe like four things. Um, but Dave Yeager, uh, we had the emergency podcast uh, earlier in the week, and then he was introduced, and... Uh, let's let's leave um, Vlade Divac out of this conversation to begin with. We'll bring Vlade in a little bit later. But what were your initial thoughts on sort of the way that Jaeger handled himself and, and spoke and his ideas and uh, his comments during the, the opening press conference, Aaron? A lot of this stuff was standard fare, coach speak. You know, you hear it at every presser that there's a new coach and a new day. In every single um, way, there's there's not a lot to say. Maybe just go make maybe eat some hay. I don't know. We just may. No, nah, it's it's all. <laughs> yeah. Favorite favorite line. Um. Yeah. So it wasn't. There's not a whole lot revealing there. But the one thing that was just music to everybody's ears is that he's gonna coach to the players, you know, or coach to this to the to the roster that he has. Yeah. And I, that's basketball 101 to me. I mean, you'd have to be crazy to do it any other way. But, you know, after a season of watching the opposite of that, I think Kings fans are just thrilled to hear that he's going to look at it that way. Okay, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me, uh, well, there's a couple of things. Okay, first up, uh, I found it interesting that he'd already in the past had had conversations about DeMarcus Cousins with Zach Randolph. I found that interesting. He said, yeah, we've talked about him. And I've actually, in the past, I've talked to Jaeger about Zach Randolph and the comparison to Cousins, and he said uh, Zach only dreams of having the size and athleticism of Cousins. You know, he's he's just not nearly as big and not nearly as strong. Now Zach is a great player, but and his career really does show that he's you know actually really in this era he's really a very good statistical player. Um, I I don't think he's a Hall of Fame player like Jaeger. You know, kind of brought up like hey maybe this guy's a Hall of Famer. Um, but I do think that he's, you know, right. He's a cusp, a cusp player. He's a guy right there who could make it probably won't, um, you know, might make it on a few ballots, might, might get a, a few votes here and there. Um, so I thought that that was interesting. Uh, that is the reason why I love the, the addition of Jaeger so much is because I do believe he's a guy that can reach DeMarcus Cousins both mentally, uh, and who can scheme for DeMarcus Cousins. And to me, I just think, again, like you do, Aaron, if you're going to have a guy who's put, putting up 27 and 11 and a half, um, you, you have to coach to that. And he he even said, look, there's not going to be like four or five possessions straight up and down the court where DeMarcus doesn't touch the ball. He's like, that. I, that's just not going to happen. He's just too good, and we're, we're going to go to him a lot more. Um, the other thing that, that really impressed me about Jaeger is, uh, and, and I don't think... Most of the people didn't get to hear the whole entirety of this story. It was something that was written. I mean, that was uh, it was said by Jaeger in a smaller scrum after the uh, the initial press conference. But he talked about actually finding out about getting fired and uh, what happened there, and it was very emotional. And so I've known Jaeger for a couple of years. I mean, I, I go to every 
you know, press scrum on with the with the Grizzlies, and I you know go ask questions, and um, he's never he's never been emotional, and, and not only that, but he can kind of be a prickly pear. He's he's not your favorite guy to go uh, ask questions of, and I, I think that that's kind of unilateral around the league. A lot of people feel the same way. Um, he did not have a spectacular relationship with a couple of people in Memphis and, and stuff like that. But, um, you know, the press conference, he was extremely emotional, um, when his season ended. And then this press conference here in Sacramento, I thought it was really interesting, Aaron. He, he talked about, okay, so he, he shows up at a track meet for his daughters and his daughters are, I think 13 and eight or or 12 and, and eight, something right around there. And he goes inside and he, you know, gets them with their team. And then he ran back out to the car to grab a couple more things out of the car, an ice chest and some other stuff. And when he gets out to the car, it's 8.30 on the dot and Memphis calls and fires him. And so he's sitting there in the parking lot and it's like this, you know, he's, he's just shocked, which I don't know if he's completely shocked, but this is his story. And, uh, so he gets on the phone to his agent. He's trying to figure out, I'm sure he called his wife. He's trying to figure out what's going on. And he said during, at the same time, um, the report went out like right then. And so people inside the stadium where the meet was, it started to circulate, you know, and this is in Memphis that, that he had just been fired. And so, you know how it works. It, it becomes like this, oh my gosh, moment where social media now you can't like accidentally run someone's dog over all of a sudden everyone in the like three counties knows about it well everyone starts finding out in during the track meet and he's still outside trying to deal with this mess that has now become his life and and trying to figure out what's next and he said that uh he didn't get to see it but the people in the stadium they responded to his daughters and so every time they raced uh, they got like a standing ovation and the crowd went nuts for them. And I'm sure the daughters didn't know what had happened and were kind of like, whoa, I don't know what's going on here. But the point to the story was Jaeger got emotional about this because that is emotional. It's a, a community that really embraced their coach and were shocked as much as he was and found a way to you know, sort of reach into the heart and soul of a coach who is standing outside not being able to be part of it and, and really kind of support his family. And just sort of a neat story where, again, Jaeger looked human, where I, I think at certain times he kind of has the ability to not look that. Uh, and, and so I thought that that was an interesting thing from the press conference. Well, he'll always be known for the tearful ending in Memphis, I think. So his image to the casual observer might end up being that of an emotional guy. That's a great story. And it shows kind of how the smaller markets respond to their basketball teams. Memphis is a great basketball town. A lot of people don't know that. Um, they've been just great, phenomenal for the Grizzlies and kind of switching gears on other things that I noticed that he said that I really liked. Um, he, he talked about defense and defense. there's this, there's this thing that like, I mean, it's, that that Vivek is looking for a fast-paced coach. And it's really kind of mind-numbing because the whole pace thing was a PR move from two years ago that we don't need to discuss. It's not this big, big deal. And so 
when when he came out and he talked about defense and he talked about how trust is built on that and and if you're going to go up and jack a shot in the first 3 seconds of the shot clock more or less implied that you have to come back to the other side and defend your ass off because if you're not going to do that that just makes everything fall apart this is going to be a balanced basketball team and that is going to help everybody along they're never meant this roster was never meant to run uh, so I think from an X's and O's standpoint, that's just a great outlook for these guys. And again, in my my little you know lab of sorts, I want to see the same roster under this coach just so we could see if they would have hit 47. The, I, the I, same I, like from top to bottom? Top to bottom. Just just go and roll it again. I, I would love to see how that would work out. There it is. Aaron uh, Bruski just once again said he wants Rajon Rondo back. I, I guess that's what it's going to – sorry, Kings fans. You're, you're getting Rondo back. No, I, I just think that that's a great approach for, for this particular team. Uh, other stuff, I just thought he did a good job of communicating what any other coach in the league would have communicated out there, which is that there's not one guy that's held to a different standard. It's, you know, it's basically – not my way or the highway, but it's the team's way or the highway. And that's always been the case with every coach in the league that's worth a damn. And the only reason we're sitting here talking about this today is you have a combustible player in, Mar- in DeMarcus Cousins that's been through hell and back now. And that whole situation went south when uh, the coach was trying to trade him without authorization. That's the oldest story that I could we could ever talk about here on this podcast. But that's the way that it was. You get a good coach in now who knows what he's doing. And now it's, you know, it's put up or shut up time. But he said all the stuff that we expected him to say. Yeah, I, and you, I guess one other thing I'll point out is the 12 to 14 years comment from from Jaeger. Vladi uh, Divac said, you know, we hope to have him here <laughs> for four or five years. And he said 12 or 14. And Vladi made a joke. You know, first of all, Vladi's absolutely hilarious. He is. Oh, the in and out thing was just so classic. It was it was spectacular. The in and out <laughs> comment. Um yeah, he's like, you know, in California we have in and out fast food restaurants and and then he goes, hey, now in Sacramento, either you're in or you're out. And I yeah, that was spectacular. So, so my thoughts are did he have in and out like five hours earlier, or did he just like really just think of that off the cuff? He was like, That'll be good. <laughs> Maybe he had him like on his giant hand. He had like an in and out joke. Um, uh, fire all the assistants in front of everyone. <laughs> I'll go with the in and out joke. Yeah, yeah. No, no. He had like him all well, written down. Like, and you, know. and you know what? Actually, I want to take a second because the AP wrote up an interesting story. And I, I think I would like to see the writers out there get off of his language because they said in quotes that – the Kings hired, quote, probably the best coach. So the intent of the headline of that article was to make him look dumb. Because uh, why, why yeah. would you hire probably the best coach? It, it makes you look like you, you don't know what you're talking about. But this is a language issue. It is a like, language issue. And that's not fair. I didn't catch that. That's not fair. because yeah, the, a, the AP wrote that. Yeah, that that's a, that's they're cool. supposed to be the good ones. Yeah, that's true. That's true. And I'm surprised because I know who was there, and I, I don't know who wrote his title. I mean, because it's possible that that he didn't write his title, but I know who was there, and that's kind of surprising to me that they they focused on that. Okay, so we will focus on uh, what Vlade did say, and uh, you know, 
I I said this earlier on on the Rise Guys with the Rise Guys. Did you see with Deuce Mason today? That was nice. I did. See. I did see that. That's a huge get for those guys. My good friend you know? Deuce Mason. I, I don't know. I think it's a short term thing. I, I don't know if it's short term, long term. I, I just know he was filling in for Mark Kreidler. Um, but I I I hope it's a long term thing because I I love Deuce. He's a great guy. Um, but I uh, what it's just it was painful to kind of I asked the question about the assistant coaches and it was really aimed at uh at, Ye- at Jaeger and I was like hey you know what's going to happen with the current group and you know do you have plans I it was really getting at Elston Turner and, and Bill Baino which we're hearing both of those guys are are very uh they're very intrigued by the job. We'll just say that, but they're under contract with the Memphis Grizzlies until they're not under contract. Then you can't sit here and say, yeah, we're going to bring that guy in or this guy in. Anyway, they would both love to, to come in the door, but, um, Vlade, he, and this is where, what I said on the rise guys, he literally like open foot insert. I mean, open mouth insert foot. It was a Holy cow moment in a press conference to have, a GM like literally put his hand up like, oh, I got this. I got this question. And we're like, huh, okay. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to let them all go. And we're like, wait, what? <laughs> and I mean, the entire room, Vladi may have said like 47 words after that. The rest of us were worried about how to fit that into 140 characters. That is what happened. It was like a massive panic to like, Holy cow, he just said he fired everyone, or he's going to fire everyone, knowing that he hadn't fired anyone yet. So we have this mess to deal with. And uh, that that was inexperience, I guess, and it was also, I guess, not completely thinking through what you were, what you were trying. Uh, what he was trying to do is he was trying to take uh, Jaeger out of, uh, let him off the hook with what was going to happen to the assistant coaches, but then... I mean, you have to actually fire the guys first, or it's really not cool to do that in a press conference because John Welsh and and uh, Chad Iskey, while they're George Carl guys, they don't deserve that. I mean, they're both very good coaches. They will both be in the NBA next year for someone else, and uh, they didn't need to have their phone blow up because Vlade said something at a press conference that uh, that he hadn't told them yet. So... And the same thing for Nancy Lieberman, the same thing for Corliss Williamson, Anthony Carter, all of these people that, that basically in one burst were let go by Vlade. Um, he did come back over, like, we went from there and then we went to a scrum with him and we got asked, you know, we hit him with a bunch of questions. And then I had gone over to uh, to Dave Yeager's scrum and I was sitting there, you know, listening and, and starting to get some questions in. And I, I get a tap on my shoulder, and it's Vlade, and he's standing behind me, and you know he's with uh, media relations, and um, he's like, hey, he'd like to clarify some stuff. And I'm like, okay, what's going on? And he's like, well, I didn't mean, <laughs> I didn't mean Corliss and Nancy, <laughs> just everyone else. I'll, I'll have a conversation with John and with uh, with Chad, you know, soon. But uh, and by soon that meant like 45 minutes later because I we were able to confirm like that quick that they had both been told at that point they were let go. But that was a huge snafu. Uh, but overall, I, I thought Vlade, I, again, he's engaging, he's funny. I think he brings a lightheartedness to the room. But Aaron, Vivek wasn't there. 
And again, Vivek's not sitting up center stage. Are we seeing the revolution? Uh, I mean, not the revolution, the evolution of Vivek Varnadive as an owner? Are we seeing him pull back? Or was this just, I mean, he wasn't at the George Carl hiring either, but that was for a specific reason. Yeah, was, I was gonna I was gonna clear the table of that real quick because he was against the George Carl hiring until he could not be against it anymore, and he made it clear to Pete Delisandro, "This is your hire. This is your mess." Pete you even go said out, that he said, "You it. go out there and talk to these people because I I want nothing to do with it." So anybody that reports that this was a Vivek Ranadive hire, they have no idea what they're talking about. Back to Vlade, the more interesting stuff. This is the Tao of Vlade, and it's it's so fun to watch this story kind of go around the internet about how Vlade doesn't know what he's doing because in many ways he doesn't there's the honesty and so when he gets into these situations he speaks from the hip and, and he's too honest yes he's yes. too honest and that's part of the the kind of the charm that he brings to the table and when he does these meetings with players he just speaks to them like people he does when he does these meetings with other personnel and, and other people around the league it's very lighthearted and it's about building a relationship with these people. And it's got a very European flavor to it. It's not so hung up on the kind of the stilted culture of American culture. Um, so you get these weird situations. And I just think that if you probably ask these guys, you know, were you offended when Vlade did this at the press conference, they would go back to their relationships with Vlade and they would say, I could totally see Vlade doing that. And no, it doesn't bother me because Vlade is not trying to get one over on me. He's not trying to make me look bad. Maybe my phone did blow up. Maybe it would not fit within the custom of a typical GM's, you know, the way that they do things. But I get it. So I think he'll probably be okay. There will be people that will say, oh, that's another example that Vlade doesn't know what he's doing. But Vlade wasn't brought in because of his specific knowledge on how to be a GM. He was brought in to bring stability to a franchise that had just been torched. And he was brought in as a guy that they trust, trust being the key word. So now you bring in Ken Catanella and you can argue that all this took too long. I met but, Ken. I'm just so you know, I met Ken. He actually came over, walked across the room, sought me out. Uh, what a nice man. No, no joke. Not pretentious. Uh, such a nice man, such a nice, but go ahead. I'm well, sorry. well, I mean, the, well, the point is, is, is you, maybe it did take too long to get the help in, so to speak. But you had to stabilize a combustible situation with the leftovers of an administration that, you know, had completely torched the place. And and now you got that guy. And, and now Vlade can bridge those responsibilities over to Ken and really do what he's best at, which is relationship building and putting on a proper um you know, the, the proper face of the franchise. And you saw that in the SI report about the coaching search where an anonymous coach spoke to SI and said, this is how it went and blah, 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 speaking pretty damn nicely about the Sacramento Kings. I, and, didn't, I, I was confused by that. It seemed like a normal everyday coaching search. Was that well, just me? I think the thing is, is if you sit with Vlade Divac and you talk with him, you're not going to go away from that conversation. Go, Oh man, that guy, he's, he's a jerk. Or, you know, he's full of it. He's lying to me. He's trying to get one over on me. And now we're or seeing any... it at the draft process, too. They, all of the prospects are talking about how they had fun with the Sacramento Kings. That it's Peja and, and Vlade, and they're like a, a comedy act, and they're just having a good time. <laughs> I, I mean, they are. I mean, look at Jason Jones. Uh, he's in Chicago right now. 
and uh, for the draft combine, and he's like the guys are coming out of it saying, "I had a good time." And you, you know, know what's you know what's funny about this is Chad Ford was out there reporting that nobody wants to talk with the Sacramento Kings, and all of ESPN for that matter is all still just completely sour on the Sacramento Kings, and and you got to wonder why that is. But when you're on the ground, you talk to people on the ground there, they love Lotte. They love Peja. You know, it's who do you who would you rather buy from? Some uptight, you know, I don't know. I don't want to I don't, I don't know what the word would be, but some uptight kind of cutthroat guy you don't trust, some sort of politician or something. Or the two or, wild and crazy Czech brothers. Yeah. Dan, Dan Aykroyd and Steve Martin. Former players that can speak to exactly <laughs> what they're going to go through that everybody respects and yeah, they might not know how to crack open the spreadsheet and run macros to update the most recent salary cap considerations that, you know, just happened after the week's worth of transactions. They can't do that, but Ken can. Yep. And, and, and that's the whole point behind this. I think it did take a little bit too long to kind of get everybody in place. Um, Cause I, to me, I think the Kings wasted a full season last year. Um, but now that that's done and you've got Dave Yeager in place, you got Ken Catanella in place. To me, it all seems manageable. And I don't think I could say that about four months ago. No, I, I don't think you can either. I, I you know, the, one of the things Blade did say, um, is that he was not going to trade to Marcus Cousins, uh, not this year. And th- I think that was an interesting thing. He was kind of forced into that comment just so people know. Uh, and, and another, just an interesting side note on that. It's that, uh, Vlade, I don't know how many languages he speaks, but it's a lot. And so the, the Latino television station was there as well. And that was actually who was pushing and asking follow-up questions about, uh, DeMarcus Cousins. And then he asked Vlade, can I speak in, can I speak to you in Spanish? And Vlade said yes, and then Vlade started just going off on some tangent in in Espanol, and it's just I'm just telling people this. There's a lot more to that guy than you than you really think. Is he too honest? Yes, but there's a whole lot more to Vlade Divac than you than you think. If you think he's just a rube who has no idea what he's doing, um, I think he might end up proving you wrong. And the other thing I'm going to bring up is a interesting thing happened during the press conference, and that was that DeMarcus Cousins snuck in the back of the room and was present for the new, the press conference. It was very obvious that Jaeger brought up that he had not talked to DeMarcus Cousins yet, but he had talked to a lot of the other players. Um, I've actually talked to a couple of players. They are, they want to know, you know, a little bit more about what we know. They, uh, so they've reached out and like, you know, what do you think and, and stuff like that. Um, but I found that very interesting that DeMarcus flew in from, I think, either Los Angeles or uh, Las Vegas. He wouldn't talk to the media. I actually, I rode in the elevator with him. We talked, but nothing on the record. Uh, he actually looked really, really good. Uh, he wasn't limping or anything. His, his feet look like they've healed up a bit from the shockwave treatment. Um, I haven't heard anything about the plate... Re- platelet rich um plasma treatment that we had heard of earlier in uh, right at the end of the season i don't know that that's happened or that that's going to happen but 
with all of these big men going down and saying they're not going to the Olympics, DeMarcus is going to be ready and he's going to be very excited because the chance of him making the Olympic team are really, really good at this point. Uh, but what were your thoughts on DeMarcus showing up? Uh, I love it. I mean, you know, from a from a just wanting to see things improve, you know, so we're not covering such a dumpster fire. Um, I, I There's nothing really uh, overly positive about it. There's nothing really... Um, it, if he had not been there, I guess you could say, well, I don't think you could say a whole lot of nothing. I, I don't know. I, I like the fact that he was there. DeMarcus has always been good with people that haven't screwed him over. And the minute that he thinks that they've screwed him over, the, the switch flips. Oh, yeah. Um, right now, it, it looks like a good match. And the fact that Jaeger's been so successful with people, you know, throughout the time, his time in the league you, you you just tell Jaeger gets it, and I and I don't have a better way to explain that. He's not going to play that game that some coaches play. Some coaches play it by withholding minutes. Some coaches play it by playing through the media or or, or using the media, and that doesn't work anymore. I, I I mean maybe it does a little, but I just you know in this age of social media, you can't tweak people the way that you once would because there's too many reporters there's too much access you almost have to like leak stuff without getting caught and and phil jackson could do it back in the day you know other coaches could do it back in the day i just don't think you could do it now and keep your story straight and keep your players happy they hear about too much they know exactly where it came from who said it who did it jaeger's gonna play it straight up he's played it straight up with his guys in the past and that's all you can ask for as a player is your coach isn't going to be talking behind your back. He isn't going to be, you know, him and hawing. He's going to go to you and say, like Jaeger said in his press conferences, I'm not going to play you. You know, you're out of the rotation. This is what I'm thinking here. You need to improve this. You need to do that. You know, that kind of stuff. So I think that seeing DeMarcus there, it showed DeMarcus was wanting to make it work. And I don't want to take it any further than that, but – that in itself is a good sign. I think so too. Um, let's see. Finishing up a couple of other things. Uh, I ran into Seth Curry in the hallway on Wednesday night when the Golden State Warriors uh, knocked off the Portland Trailblazers to advance to the Western Conference Finals. Uh, he was waiting in the hallway for his brother. I was actually able to get a, a couple of minutes with him, uh, which you can find that on CSN California, CSNBayArea.com. Um, but, uh, Seth has in fact officially opted out of his contract. He would love to come back to Sacramento. Uh, it is a, very much in play. Uh, he said he loves what Vlade is trying to do in Sacramento and he has a ton of respect and he's the guy that finally gave him his shot. And he, he's very gracious about that. Um, he said he's going to have to see how, uh, the whole thing plays out in free agency. Again, he is a restricted free agent. But a very interesting restricted free agent. I don't know that the Kings have any idea what someone is going to come at him with. And he can make anywhere from, you know, he could have opted out of a contract and not get another one. Uh, or he could get 5 or $6 million a year because this new salary cap thing is crazy. $92 million salary cap. There's going to be teams with money everywhere. And uh, just in a weird way, Seth is a little bit like Jimmer and that he has a ridiculous following, especially locally, so not just in Sacramento, but in the 
the greater area. So if you consider the Bay Area as well. And so I know that anything we write about Seth Curry goes absolutely crazy. And uh, so he has a following. And so when he goes somewhere else, because partially because of his brother, uh, a lot because of his brother, but he's also kind of a good story. uh, People are very, I, I would say they're cognizant of the fact that he brings a little bit more than just a guy who could be who could be an eighth man or could be a twelfth man or could be like a fourteenth man on your bench. You're just not quite sure yet. Um, so I don't know if he's going to be in back in Sacramento. I have a sneaky uh, like feeling that someone is going to come at him at like five or six million dollars a year. And if the Kings want to jump at that uh, and match, I, I don't. I think that's that's crazy. Uh, I think that he had a nice run, but I don't think he he's completely. Uh, you know he's he's a linchpin by any stretch, and I think he is replaceable. So um, so I I hope that he's back because he's a good guy, and I think he's a good basketball player. Uh, and but he's got a lot to a lot of growth to do, and he's only played he hasn't even played a full season in the NBA. I mean his first two years in the league were ten year, ten day contracts. He barely played at all, and we're talking less than ten games total in his career. And now. You know, he got a taste with Sacramento, but I mean, he still is a long ways away from being a, a, you know, even a rotational player on a good team. We don't know he can be that. And he's 25, almost 26 years old. So I'm kind of intrigued to see what happens with Seth Curry. And I would, you know, I I think the Kings would welcome him back, but it's got to be the right situation. And I hope that makes sense to people. Like if, if he leaves, this isn't, it's kind of, I, Again, the Ike Diagu effect. Sacramento Kings fans fell in love with Ike Diagu. They're ready to give him like a like a five year, you know, thirty million dollar deal after he had like three good games to end the season. And I don't know that Ike Diagu ever played more than like five games ever after that in the NBA. Uh, so I don't fully compare him because I do think he's got skill. But I don't know, Aaron. Do you have any thoughts on on Seth? Yeah, actually, I was able to scratch up a list here real quick um, that I that I made on like April 2nd of available free agents that I think the Kings should look at. And the the market is flush with good low end guards. And so I personally. okay, so Darren Carlson as a starter is, I think, the way that the Kings should go. So you're saving money at the point guard position and you're looking at a backup. You know, what can you get now? Seth Curry is a backup point guard. He has a little bit of cachet because, you know, when you look when you're trying to bring a a guard off the bench, you're looking for somebody kind of instant offense, that kind of thing. And I know that's cliche, but we'll just go with it. Um, Five, six, seven million in in that in today's marketplace is not breaking the bank. So I don't look at that as a disqualifier. But I do think that you're looking at other guards that um, that that really fit what the Kings are looking for and fit the the profile of what you want to pay for. So Courtney Lee obviously is on the top of that list, but then like Norris Cole had a pretty good year. Okay. I think that he would be a good backup. Uh, Etwan Moore is probably the best on the marketplace for what you're going to pay for what you're going to get. He's an up and coming player. That's going to be a player in this league. He could start one day. And the Kings but, know about him because he lit them on fire one game. Yes, and the he, he, game. he's yeah. not guaranteed to be a starter in this league, but he's at least got a shot, and he's a good combo guard, so he's he's got a little bit of versatility there. Uh, Tony Douglas, who everybody remembers, actually 
did decently during the New Orleans Pelicans, uh, whatever you want to call it, for the last 20 games when they just played a bunch of randos that they picked up. But Tony Douglas is, is a good is defensive a guy. player. Yeah, I, I like Tony Douglas. I don't know he, why he doesn't He's have... hitting his peak in, in his career. His peak is as a backup, and he's hit that peak. So he'd be a guy, he'd be a guy that if everybody else fell through and you landed him, that would be a good one. And then Tyler Johnson out of uh, Miami. He had a shoulder injury, but he's real good. And so Miami knows that, and they'll probably do everything they can to keep him, and he'll probably want to stay there. But that's a guy to look at. And then you kind of go up and up and down the, the rest of the, you know, the positions. And, you know, I'll just rattle them off real quick. Um, Marvin Williams, Mo yeah. Harkless, John Lure, Alan Crabb, Dwight Powell, Miles Plumley. These are all attainable players for the Kings to go out and get that can fulfill a role for this team and then keep the Kings in a position of leverage throughout the rest of the year. If they wanted to go and swing a big deal for a free agent or for in a trade, they would have 15, 20 million dollars worth of cap space to make it happen. I really um, like Alan Grab. I do. And I also really like Ken Bazemore. Uh, I, I don't know if he's going to be completely available, but he's a great defensive player. Baysmore would be a huge pickup if you wanted to spend big on Baysmore, but then back up some of your other positions with guys like this. That's the kind of move that you want to make right now. Marvin Williams would be an insane pickup for the Kings. I mean, uh, insanely good. I don't know. He had, about a, that. he had a great year. He was in shape. He's one of the reasons they went to the playoffs. He's only going to need 25 some odd minutes per game. He's going to shoot well outside. He's going to be able to defend threes and fours. He rebounds. He steals. He blocks. He does it all. He is now. The, he's the complete package that everybody thought they would get on draft day. It just took him second pick in the draft. Yeah, yeah, it just took him eleven years to get there. Yeah, and, see, and, yeah. Now, and now he's <laughs> now, but 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 he fits a role. He would bring veteran leadership to the team. I'm telling you, he had a, a great season. I think there's going to be there's going to be plenty of guys out there. I think that's the point uh, that Aaron is trying to make. I can actually see the Kings with the seventh pick, uh, or the seventh or eighth, eighth, right? Um, with that pick, I could actually see them taking a uh, a point guard, if one of the or a guard, if one of the the three or four guys fall to them. Um, I I don't know if that's going to happen, and who knows? Somehow the Kings move up into the top three. You, stranger things have n- never happened. Um, I love them taking a point guard, putting them behind Collison. And yeah. then you can focus on other areas as well. Well, and then um, and then do a budget sign, like go out if, again, Curry hits a 5 or $6 million mark. Again, just keep in mind, people, that they wouldn't pay $7 million a couple of years ago for Isaiah Thomas after a 20-point-a-game season. Um, just, just to throw that out there. Um, but because they thought he would be a backup and they didn't want to pay him that much. But I, I'm just going to, like, if you were to go out and do what we're talking about and then bring in Ray McCallum as your third point guard, you know, a rookie Collison and Ray McCallum, I, I think you're fine there. And you can get McCallum on a, on a minimum deal. He was signing 10 day contracts last year. And that's after getting trained by the San Antonio Spurs for a long period of time. So I think there are a lot of options at that point guard position. If I, I mean, we have any, if you completely just go away from Rondo and switch it up and do something completely different. I do know that, Collison earned a ton, a ton of respect around the team for the way that he handled himself down the stretch, and uh, and Jaeger even talked about him as a, a like a, a starter level point guard for sure 
And so we'll have to see. I mean, is there a huge, I know people are going to rip me for this. Is there a huge, huge drop off between Mike Connolly Jr. and Darren Collison? You're going to get ripped. <laughs> I, I think that there's a, there's a good drop off there. Um, but I also know that when Collison was a starter for the Kings the year before, he played well defensively. He was a good leader. Uh, he was very efficient. He was very good. Um, if I'm choosing between Collison at five million and chasing Connolly at a max deal, where you're you're literally locking up a hundred million dollars, I, I just have a tough time doing that. I mean, I think that down the road there will be other players that the Kings can fill that need with, and that's why I would go young at that position behind Collison and, and let Collison run the team to start because. Again, the Kings were actually really, really good when uh, Collison, Cousins, and Rudy Gay were all healthy uh, the year before, uh, this last year. And that just, it wasn't very often that they were all three healthy, but I think they were right around 500 when all three of them were healthy. And so I think you might want to kind of figure out if Collison is the guy, although he's 29 and he's got one year left on his contract, so it can't be like you have to have a backup plan. I'll, I'll add this on Conley. So if I knew he was healthy, I would say, yes, you do the deal because he's athletic enough to where and, and smart enough and good enough to where I think in the third and fourth year of that contract, he would not be an albatross. Uh, the problem, though, is that in his walk year, he couldn't stay on the floor and he had a really down year because of the injuries. And he has played through, you know, these players in their prime like Jeff Teague is another guy who's been doing this. They play through the ankle sprains and they play through the knee tweaks and they do this all and they maintain all of that explosion and you never see it hit their stats and you never see it hit their film, but it catches up with them and it happens pretty quick. And that's what happened with Mike Conley this year. He's got terrible ankles. He's got an Achilles problem. He's got hand and wrist problems, you know, all over the place. It's it's a mess. And so I don't know that I would make that whatever hundred million dollar bet on him. If you do know you've got Darren Collison and then you could go cheap and try to develop a point guard for year two and, and then let Collison walk or do whatever you're going to do with Collison, but really just use this year to prep your new guy. Yeah. I mean, I think there are options there. I, that's all I'm saying. And, and again, uh, I'm not saying that, that they're equals. I'm just saying like, I don't think that there is, a giant gap like uh, Conley is not an all-star and he's he might be a a top 10 point guard um but I mean there are a lot of good point guards in the NBA and I, that's I'm not... the thing about the position is it's got a lot of depth so you can be a little choosy if you're going to be in the mid-tier range yeah I'm not giving him a hundred million dollars a year I, I'm in a hundred million dollar contract I'm, I'm just not I just don't think he can stay healthy I don't think he's, I mean, I think he's a really, really good player and a, and a great leader. And I think that the Kings would actually be a better team, but how much longer would you be a better team? And so, I mean, again, he's 28 going on 29. He's, he's, he played 56 games this year and you're right. His injuries are, are not good. And is um, he's got a long history of not playing that many games. And so, I would be I would be concerned in the same way that you're concerned about signing Ryan Anderson. I, I just I don't know that you're going to get value out of a speed, you know, a six foot one, hundred and seventy five pound speed, quick point guard 
at 32, 33 years old when you've put up huge, huge money. You, I, you basically, you're, you're pot committed. And, and that's tough because if you do have to make a move with, with cousins down the road or, or something else, I mean, you're, you're buried, you're half of your, a quarter of your salary cap is, is locked up into one player who the one again, reason, yeah, the one reason I'm not against your idea is because we saw what Darren Carlson can do in a smart offense with uh, Michael Malone, you know, and I know that a lot of people will cringe about saying that, but I didn't have an extreme problem with Michael Malone's offense. And, but the point was, was that Carlson looked great in it. And I think you're going to see that with Jaeger. He's going to know where to put Carlson to where the ball goes to the right places. His strengths are accentuated. He can do his thing in the pick and roll. He can, you know, the only weakness that Darren really has, other than the inexplicable turnover at the random time thing, is that mid-range game. But as far as shooting the three and getting to the rim goes, he's great. I think he's going to be a great fit in that offense and it'll look good. So yeah, if you've got that in hand, then there's no need to go gamble on a hundred million dollar bet on an older guy with potential injury issues when you can get something in the draft or, you know, roll the dice during the next free agency. Yeah. 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 I mean, I'm just saying, I, I think that there are better ways to spend your money. I, I and again, I, I don't think you're, you're saying go chase Connolly. We just brought him up. And, and I mean, for me, Connolly first career, 13.6 points, 5.6 assists. He's not a huge assist man, and he's more of a system point guard. And so I think he's a very good player. I just I just don't know. I, I don't know that I would jump at that. So look at this, Aaron. We've run. I know. I was just going to say. <laughs> 52 so much, minutes. How did this happen? So much for the short podcast. We, we never do a short podcast. We should have told you that in the beginning when we started talking about this. So uh, I don't know. Aaron, do you have any final thoughts? I really want to see the Kings in free agency. I want to see I want to see them in the draft. Um, just kind of curious what direction they go. Obviously, we got to wait to see what, what pick they get. But I really want to see them in free agency because there are two schools of thought going on there. One is spend big, and the other one is spend small. And uh, I want to see which one wins out. Yeah, and I think with the team in general, there are two thoughts too. You uh, you blow it up and completely build around Demarcus or or uh, jettison Demarcus. Or you see if it was all about coaching and give a team that Vlade really believes he built well. Last year, you had a couple of small pieces here and there, maybe a big piece uh, if you want to throw a bunch of money, but um, but really kind of fill out the roster just a little bit more uh, with your top pick, maybe, maybe with a, a tweak with a trade or two, especially at that shooting guard position, and, uh, and then start, start fresh. Screw uh, it! I want I want to see you guys bring back Rondo. You guys bring back Rondo. I want to see him win forty seven games with the same roster. That would make me very happy. Well, yeah, I I, I don't know that that's going to happen, but uh, <laughs> I, I just don't know. I, again, I, I can't tell you what Vlade is going to do. Uh, I do know this that when he doesn't want to be like completely truthful with you, you can see that too. Um, yeah, <laughs> he's pretty. It's pretty just like sitting there, like, what do you mean, like? Well, you know what you I mean. Either, like, you either in or you're out. <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, that was uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger impersonating Vlade Divac. That's 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 how I roll. I do the Arnold impersonating Vlade. That, there it is. All right, so that's going to do it for this edition of the CSN Kings Insider Podcast. We'll be back next week. Draft coverage will start next week. We'll have all kinds of crazy stuff as we build towards the draft and free agency. 
for Aaron Bruski, I am James Ham. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week. <laughs>